evening. I'm Danny. I'm over on Instagram as Blotted Ink Books, and this is the podcast where I chat with authors, book bloggers, bookstagrammers, uh, all about their fantasy fictional party. Uh, it could be a dinner party with some of their favourite authors. It might be a humongous uh, shindig in the castle from Narnia with all of their book boyfriends. Anything goes. Um, and for this episode, I'm going to be joined by Francis Quinn, uh, the author of The Smallest Man, which was a book that I read last year that I absolutely adored. Um, it really took me by surprise, actually, how emotional that story made me. Um, I highly recommend it if you're a fan at all of historical fiction. It's beautifully written. And her newest novel, That Bonesetter Woman, uh, was released in July of this year. And honestly, Frances' writing is, is stunning. Um, emotional, beautiful. She takes stories from characters that are so exceptional. Um honestly her books need to be read to be fully fully you know uh, appreciated they're gorgeous um so i'm incredibly excited to be joined by her and to dive into her novel evening a big hello to francis hi hi thanks for having me how are you doing i'm good i'm very hot but apart from that good <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has said the same thing. And I did an interview with an author a couple of weeks ago in America and he lives basically in the desert. Ooh. And I was complaining, like, it's so hot over here. And he's like, Oh, what is it? I was like, Oh, about 29 degrees Celsius. <laughs> he's only got 45. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> we call that mild here. I was like, Oh, yeah. we're just not equipped for it, are we? We're not. No, we're not set up for it. We're not prepared at all. We just do like, I feel like we can't handle extremes of anything. No. No. If it's too wet, everything floods. Or too cold. Oh, God. If we get snow, the country can't function. If it's too, we just like average. Yes, exactly. Mediocre weather is what we do best. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much for taking some time to come and chat with me today. Um, I'm really excited to to speak with you. I, I adored The Smallest Man. Oh, thank you. I really loved it. Um, obviously, it was one of my top reads last year. I didn't expect to find it as emotional as I did. I I love historical fiction. And I thought it sounds like a really nice story. It sounds a very sweet story. And then as I was reading, I found it incredibly moving. How did you come up with this with this story? Where did the idea come from? So I stumbled upon the real life story that inspired the character of Nat Davy. I was researching a completely different novel, um, which never saw the light of day, um, set in the time of the Great Plague. And because it was historical, I thought, well, it would be good to have a character who's got a disability because obviously at that time they would have had quite a different perspective on life. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just Googling 17th century and disability and up popped this story of Geoffrey Hudson, who was the real life inspiration and who was like Nat Davy, um, given as the present to Queen Henrietta Maria in a pie and became a court dwarf, which was like a sort of human pet. And often when I say that, people think, oh, this must be a terribly sad, maybe slightly grim story. But as you've read it, you know, yeah, there are sad moments, but I think ultimately it's feel-good fiction. Yeah. Because Nat is a person who, you know, he's been dealt quite a bad hand in life, but he just grabs what life's got to offer and makes the best of it. So... Yeah, and, and Jeffrey Hudson, by all accounts, did the same. So when I read it, I thought, oh, how's, how has nobody made this into a novel? 
I did find out when I started writing why nobody had made it into a novel, but because <laughs> it was quite hard stories because it, it's it's involved in the English Civil War. Yes. So there was quite a lot of historical detail to get in. So I did understand then why nobody had done it. <laughs> but it was too late then. You set yourself too up. Too late, oh, I was in. Yeah. <laughs> and I do, I do feel like, you know, we obviously look now in, in this current day and age and we look at like court dwarves as, you know, horrendous, mm-hmm. horrific, these people being kept. But for back then, that was an opportunity, you know, the life that he would have had, you know, it was an opportunity to yeah. establish yourself as somebody in court and to, you know, not be in poverty. And, you know, it was a way to make something of yourself. Yeah, it was. But I think Jeffrey Hudson and then and then Nat had to have the right frame of mind to do yeah. that because they still, you know, they face a lot of prejudice. They would have been mocked and that gets bullied. We don't know if Jeffrey Hudson did, but I suspect he probably did. Yeah. So. Yeah, it was it was a way out of poverty for him, but it perhaps wasn't the way that he ideally would have chosen. You know, he would have liked to have been, you know, one of the good looking courtiers striding yeah. around and going into battle. But you know, he made the best of the opportunities that he had. Yeah, that's what I thought was really beautiful. I think it's an example of the mindset of when you go into life. And like you say, you're just there to make the best of what mm. you're given at every opportunity. I thought it was a beautiful story. Um, and of course, your second novel has recently come out, That Bone Set a Woman. Tell me yeah. all about this story. Where did this come from? So this also came in a slightly similar way. So um, I had a two book contract. And when I had to come up with the idea for the second book, my editor said, um, publishing likes do the same but different. So she said, could you do the same again? Could you find, you know, a little, a real character, but someone people don't know about and then make a fictitious counterpart? So that was a great idea, but you can't exactly Google little known but interesting historical <laughs> character that I can write a novel about. Yeah. So I kind of panicked for a bit. And then I found the Dictionary of National Biography, which is basically, I don't know if it actually exists as a book. I accessed it online and anyone can. Most most libraries, you can use your library card to go online and access it. And it's a fascinating thing. It's got mini biographies of pretty much anyone who's ever been written about like in the newspapers or official documents I'm not really sure what the parameters are but it's got everyone from highway men and highway women criminals aristocracy scientists anyone who's made any kind of a mark and you could search for yeah you can search for men and women you could search for particular times so I knew I wanted to go a bit forwards in time so I just searched for between 1700 and 1800 women and there are loads. And then I stumbled across a woman who was known as Crazy Sally Matt. And she I mean, was, with a name like that. Yeah, I mean, you're in instantly. Yeah. And she was this eccentric character who became a female bone setter. Now, bone setters were um, the forerunners of both orthopedic surgeons and people like chiropractors and osteopaths. So if you broke a leg or dislocated a joint, they'd fix that for you. But they would also fix fix bad backs dodgy knees but if you talk to even a doctor today even with really strong painkillers and muscle relaxants to put back a dislocated shoulder or fix a broken ankle you need to be quite physically strong even now so then even more so so women didn't really do it but crazy sally was a big strapping lass and she obviously had the knack and she became quite famous she became quite wealthy and then, so I was already interested. Yeah. And then as I researched her a bit more, 
some of the sources say she was the sister of Lavinia Fenton, who was one of George and England's most famous actresses, and then went on to uh, become the mistress of the Duke of Bolton. And when his wife died, married him. Oh. And I just thought, can you imagine these two were sisters? Can you imagine what that relationship was like? And then that was just too good a gift to turn down. And I think having researched a bit more, I don't think they were sisters. I think somebody's made a mistake somewhere yeah. along the line. But, you know, I'm not writing a history book. They were fictitious. No, artistic versions, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're inspired yeah. And it's not, it's not Lavinia and Sally's story. It's yeah. Endurance and Lucinda's story. But, yeah, that relationship was too much for gift to ignore, really. Oh my goodness. I love it. And I love when you stumble across these gems mm. who have been completely lost. Yeah, exactly. Time. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. And you know, there was such a divide, a class divide then as well. Mm. So if they, you know, the sisters like that for one of them to make her way into the aristocracy while the other is, you know, working, is a working exactly. woman. Exactly. Is, is massive. Yeah. And they were, you know, they were they were both female characters who made their way in a men's world made their mark Sally Mack came to quite a sticky end um and Lavinia Fenton didn't but that was quite intriguing you know the difference in their fate so it's not their stories some of the same things happen to Endurance and Lucinda and some and some don't. Is it hard when you're writing books that are inspired by people you know when you sort of pick and choose the elements that you're going to include do you ever sort of feel, you know, that you should be including more of their lives if it's inspired by? Is you know, is it kind of a tricky much, line? Much write? more, much more with the smallest man because the smallest man was set against the events of the Civil War. Um, Charles the First is in it, the Queen's in it, various much more well-known figures are in it. So I couldn't play so fast and loose. I had I had to really stick to the background of the events and then weave Nat's story through it. So. I don't stick to the story of Jeffrey Hudson. Again, some of the same things happen, but some yeah. don't. But I do have to stick to, you know, I can't change who won the Civil War, for example. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so that was much more, it was much more a case of, and also I studied the English Civil War at school and a lot of people said to me, what drew you to write about this period? Well, nothing, because I hated it at, at school. It, it's a really dry it's politics. It's really, really dry. And I did think, how on earth am I going to get this boring stuff into a story? So what I decided was, Nat is telling his own story in first person. So I decided my rule would be, if towards the end of his life, you bumped into Nat in the local tavern and he started telling you his life story, which he probably would, um, these are the bits he would tell you. These are the bits he would be interested in. So he might have been there for other things, but they haven't stuck in his mind, so he's not going to tell you. So that meant I could... I could leave out lots of the boring stuff and I could just have Nat explaining in his own words, his own very unique view of what's going on. So then I hope people under, people have said to me they've learned kind of what the Civil War was about and what happened, but that's literally a handful of paragraphs. You know, it's his take on what's happening. You don't have to have all the all the ins and outs. So Yeah, I remember doing it at school very, very briefly. And I remember because the town I lived in I don't know if it's Charles the first or second. I want to say the first. He hid there. He ran through there. It would, oh, it could be either because they both did a bit of hiding. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bridport is the town, and they've named like one of the one of the lanes are named after him because he, right. he scuttled down this lane to hide. So it was always something we had to learn about. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those things where I don't know. It didn't have the sexiness of the War of the Roses. It really doesn't. You know? it, really it didn't doesn't. have the intrigue. 
I think where where the sexiness came in for me was when I realised how much the Queen had been involved. Yes. Because her story is so amazing. She basically comes over, she's a French princess. She comes over at 15 to marry a man she's never met. She doesn't even speak English. She's a Catholic. And, you know, her father-in-law is James I, who the, you know, the Catholic-inspired gunpowder plot tried to kill. The Catholics are not dead popular at the time. And she just had this amazing story. And then she is thought to be one of the causes of the Civil War because, you know, it was thought that she was turning the King Catholic and, you know, the Puritans couldn't bear her. And it was when I realised there are people in this, there are actual personalities influencing this. So that's when it started to get a bit more sexy for me. Yeah, that's the thing I think as well, you know, it's always interesting the roles women play because they, I think in history, even with the War of the Roses, with the Civil War, with any of that, the women kind of take a back seat unless they, mm. you know, Elizabeth I or they're the real forerunners of the of the situation. Generally, the wives of kings were kind of just in the background. And yeah. you know, I can't imagine at 15 being moved yeah. to a country where exactly. they speak the language. And obviously, Charles I was, was quite well known for his and various <laughs> extramarital relationships. No, actually, he's not the one. That's oh, is he not? Is that second? No, oh. Charles I was actually really, really boring. Oh. Yeah, I think he's supposed to be. Maybe that's like, why his son was so much more. Exactly, fun his son probably rebelled. But he, yeah, so he basically, I think he's known as like the only English king who didn't have mistresses. Though oh. so I don't think he was all that much fun in that direction. Oh. And so, yeah, I mean, their sex life was a bit dodgy at the beginning. Like she was, so she was a very devout Catholic, and they had rows because she was always saying on saints days they weren't supposed to yeah yeah nothing was meant to happen and he felt she was discovering a lot of previously hidden saints days and she was always (laughs) she was always getting headaches and yeah like oh no it's saint marjorie yeah it's saint colin's day today sorry yeah we have a lot of those (laughs) yeah it's terrible so yeah I think they and their marriage you know it got off onto such a bad start I mean they make Charles and Diana look like you know Romeo and Juliet and then somewhere along the line they fall in love and so that was fascinating and then and then she becomes his biggest influence which is why you know in the Civil War she was hated so much and you know in the book there there is a plot to kidnap her because they know that if they get hold of her he'll do anything yeah and you can feel her loneliness in the book yeah. I think and that's the really beautiful part with 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 Nat and her because they're from completely different mm. worlds they have nothing in common and no. yet apart from loneliness. this loneliness and homesickness yeah because yeah, that that was one of the things that interested me because he we don't really know what Jeffrey Hudson and the Queen's relationship was but what interested me was so he's given to her as a present he becomes a human pet but 10 years later he's still there with her when the Civil War begins, when she goes off to Holland to drum up arms and ammunition, he's with her then, he's with her throughout. So that's not the relationship of a human pet. And there were other dwarves, there were other court dwarves, and they're not there. So I thought, well, what was it? And then I did, it kind of came to me, yeah, they were both young, they were both homesick, yeah. and they maybe did make this unlikely friendship. We don't know, but it seemed to once I thought about it, it did seem that it might be likely that, you know, he was he was by her side for so long. Oh, it's beautiful. And going back to that bone setter woman, you know, you've got these two sisters from this one world. And then for one of the sisters to be taken into this, you know, to basically be risen up, you yeah. know, 
But again, she's still very much a fish out of water. I can imagine that it must be, you must feel homesick in some ways for the family that you know and, and people that you remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Lucinda's got a lot of homesick in, in her. Lucinda is, not everybody loves Lucinda, but I do. She's really ruthless. She's really beautiful. And she's from a child learned to manipulate that. So at the age of the ten, at the age of ten, she teaches herself to cry at will, so she can always get herself out of trouble. She's quite manipulative. So she's basically so that they, they go to London because she's pregnant, and she's pregnant as a result of an attempt at social climbing that goes wrong. Right. Lucinda's always looking for the main chance, yeah. and as soon as they arrive, and she sees that you know men look at her just as much in London as they did at home, she's like, okay, I might be able to do once I get this baby out of the way might be able to do something with this. So I don't think Lucinda ever, ever looks back. Jury does, endurance does, but yeah, Lucinda's, she's a chancer, but she's she's a charming chancer and I, I liked her. Yeah, I mean, you you created her. So, you know, having, having written her, I guess you you see layers that maybe readers mm. don't always necessarily feel. And I do think for women again of that time, again, it's taking the opportunities that fall into your lap because there exactly. may not have been many, especially for an, you know, an unmarried woman who was pregnant. Mm. You kind of have to take what you can get there. Yeah, and her looks are, are her opportunity. And, you know, in some ways that hasn't changed, has it? No, and looks fade. You know, you do, you know, I think for, for women, you know, now and then, while you have it, while the going's mm. good, you Make have the to most take of it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And she is looking to her future. That You know, that's why she tries to hook up with a duke because she knows she's not going to, always look like that so she's gonna she tries to get security but things don't always go very well for Lucinda no and I think again that's probably very very true of the time mm. as well um I think you know we forget that women then really didn't have any rights no and, and they had very little agency yeah even finding a rich husband didn't guarantee that you know exactly live your life out in luxury um sadly um <laughs> Because you could quite often be quite miserable. You look at a lot mm. of queens through the ages. It wasn't always exactly. great to be a queen. Mm. Um, but I think it's fascinating. And I have to ask, what are you working on next? So I am working on my third book, which is, so I've come forward a bit again. And it's set in Edwardian times. And it's the story of a woman who becomes trapped in an aristocratic marriage. And um she sees a way to find a new life by stealing someone else's identity and the stealing of the identity takes place as a result of the sinking of the titanic i mean you have me a titanic anything (laughs) that involves the titanic is absolutely fascinating to me um i already love the sound of this um that sounds very exciting i do love that you're going forward through time yeah i like i quite like to experiment with different periods i don't think i'd necessarily want to i might return to the georgians because they're fun but it is always interesting to go into a whole different world yeah is this see how much changes and how much doesn't no this is this is everyone in this is fictitious ah so this is different ground for you as well you've yeah yeah so the 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 titanic is the is the anchor in reality the rest yeah i mean they are there are influences there are stories i've found that kind of feed you know women who had similar experiences but it's not it's not based on anyone and again it's very similar that we just said you know being in an aristocratic marriage didn't did not by any means mean happy it might mean security yeah um and i think for a lot of women back then that was kind of drilled in wasn't it as the thing get get security that's all that matters security and actually 
she Eleanor is at the moment the character's name might change she believes she is marrying for love but it's her husband who's basically she's the daughter of a rich industrialist so she doesn't come from that world and he marries her for her money although he is an aristocrat right I love it which which was that was that was a thing that happened they used to be um was often Americans that were that got married this way American girls they were called the dollar princesses so they would be the daughters of rich American businessmen who would come over here look for an aristocratic husband they get the title he gets the money because there were a lot a lot of sort of landed estates at that time they were being as they would say it crippled by death duties you know they was quite tough to keep the estates going so they needed money the women wanted kudos um Eleanor doesn't particularly want the kudos she's actually in love but he's not oh oh I love it there's a bit of scandal there so I'm thinking ahead now to your novel evening I'm wondering if there's going to be some historical characters coming Mm, fictitious historical characters okay okay all right then so we should start off with where are you going to go for your evening so I am going to go to uh, a nice cottage in the wilds of Sweden in winter and my reasons for this first of all because it's so hot today I thought it would be nice to think about somewhere cold Um, as everyone who knows me knows I'm a huge ABBA fan and being a huge ABBA fan has led me to be a huge fan of Sweden so it's become like my second home so and and I want to interrogate my two guests so I want somewhere quiet where we can sit down (laughs) And they'll feel relaxed. Okay. Able, able you got to a little food. dark then for a minute. <laughs> not really. It's not dark as well. You'll see. But I need I need them to be relaxed so they can answer my questions. Oh, okay. This is intriguing. Obviously, a, you know, a cottage in the middle of nowhere in Sweden will do it. That yeah. Be- and we'll have like, we'll have meatballs and some aquavit. So we'll, that'll get the, get the sort of... Uh, memories going yes yeah that'll do it or it might have the opposite effect if there's too much aquavit but yeah I'll, I'll control that I, <laughs> I, I, I will have you will as you will discover a willing and ca- very capable assistant so oh, right we'll, get, we'll do, get to him in a minute yeah tell us what who is coming who are your guests so with? my first two guests are I might have three um Jane Elizabeth and possibly Lydia Bennett from Pride and Prejudice Oh, and the reason I want them, and it's it's to do with the novel I'm working on now. It's it's made me so Eleanor in in the new book. She's a big book lover. She loves books. She reads Jane Austen. She loves Jane Eyre, and that's made her quite a romantic. Yeah. And then when she gets into this marriage, she realizes that all these books that have told her the wedding day is a happy ending were lying to her. Yeah. So. I want to ask the three Bennett girls what happened after the wedding because I don't know I'm a bit cynical but I don't think those husbands were all that Bingley bit of a sap bit boring yeah I mean, Jane, Jane's not the most interesting woman in the world so they might be all right <laughs> but you know they might he, bumble along but yeah he was very taken along. over by his sister and yeah exactly that's always a red flag Darcy really not sure I know he does the right thing regarding Lydia and all the rest of it but you know he's he's a bit of a what would we say he's a bit of an alpha male 
Yeah, I don't, know. I don't. I don't know how that one's going. I don't think that's going to work out quite as well as she thinks it is. So I'm interested to know that. And then of course Lydia and Wickham. We absolutely again. I think they might get on that house on fire. So I want to know how those three marriages yeah. panned out. And to help me, my assistant. See, I used to be a journalist. But I wanted to be that kind of journalist like Kirsty Walk and Emily Maitlis, who really went in for the questions, no matter how embarrassing it was, yep. they asked the question. I was never very good at that. I was always a bit embarrassed to say, you know, the, the thing I really wanted to know. Yep. So I am bringing along Paddington Bear. Okay. I feel is a guy who is never embarrassed and he would go straight in. I don't know if you uh, if you ever read the books as a child. I have was... actually got, I've got a very old set that belonged to my mother when she was a little girl that I have read. I love them. But yeah, he's got no guile, has he's he? He's got I no mean... guile. And I don't know if you remember the episode where he goes to the bank and he wants to withdraw his money. And <laughs> they, they give him notes that haven't got the same serial number and he's puzzled and he, you know, doesn't understand. Now, it's a daft situation, but imagine most of us put there would be like, oh, it's probably all right. I'll take the money. Yeah. Paddington's not having that. Paddington's going to go, why? This is not my money. Where's my money? So I think Paddington would be a great interviewer. So I'm going to have him on hand. Oh. He can control the drinking. And also, if I, if he thinks I'm not asking really the right questions, he can jump in. And who's going to refuse to answer a question asked by Paddington? Nobody, because he's Paddington Bear. Exactly. He'd once do it the so sweetly. Get over it. Yeah, once they yeah, get, once they get over a talking bear, obviously. <laughs> Which I think, you know, Paddington is, he's so earnest, isn't he? Yeah, he's well-meaning. You know, you you wouldn't feel that he's asking those questions because he's going to go straight on Twitter and tell everyone. You feel that he genuinely wants to know. Yeah. So I think they'll respond to that. And I think we'll get the whole story. I think Elizabeth Bennett would probably be quite open. I think she'd probably talk about her relationship with Darcy after. I think I'm, so. Depending on what happened with Wickham, if Wickham had done the dirty on Lydia, mm, I think we'd maybe know not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Lydia's not exactly buttoned up, is she? She'll probably spill. No, it it's would be Jane. Jane. It's Jane who go. Oh, yes, we're quite happy. That's yeah. fine. Talk and we want me. the truth. Yeah, yeah we, we want, want the truth. We want the real nitty gritty. We want to know is anything going on with the gardener. Ooh, yeah. If, if they, I bet they have gardener. So yeah, they must. They must. But do. I they reckon Paddington. Them. Paddington would. He'd fix her with his little furry face, and he'd say, "Jane, tell us how it is with Bingham." And she'd just have to say. Maybe he'd bring out the hard stare as well if she was. Yes, if him. she if she prevaricated, she'd get the hard stare, and then she'd just <laughs> begin to burble and then tell him the truth. Oh, this is so, so, this is a gorgeous evening, all nestled mm. up. He'd bust out his marmalade sandwiches. Yeah, yeah, if we ran out of meatballs, yeah. If we ran out of meatballs, yeah. Oh, I love it. I think this is lovely. And I have to ask, is anyone not welcome to your evening? Yeah, although we're on the subject of romance, I'm not having Romeo and Juliet. What a pair of twits. I mean, honestly, like there's really, there's very few people more annoying than teenagers in love, and they are a particularly <laughs> annoying example of it. So, yeah. you know, I'm I, glad they died, really. I do. I completely agree. I found one of my old diaries when I was a teenager not that long ago. And it was one of the most hideous things I've ever read back through. Because every minute it changed, whoever I was in love yeah. with. If he doesn't look at me, I'm going to die. And I was like, oh, no. Exactly. And and that thing of, oh, this has never happened to anyone before. And your mum says, you'll get over it. And you go, oh, she doesn't know. She's never felt like this. 
I am now a mum and I imagine looking at my two, they're very young at the moment, but I look down the line, I think one day I'm going to hear those words like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. So I reckon Romeo and Juliet were all that and more really, really annoying. Oh my so, God. But also, yeah. what were the adults around them doing? What were they doing? Yeah, I mean, it's practically child abuse. Yeah, you know, the nurse was like, yeah, all right, I'll let yeah, you Yeah, go on, yeah, get yeah. married. Yeah, the friar was like, yeah, I'll marry you and it'll yeah. be fine. You know, just, yeah. well, I mean... What, I know Shakespeare likes the good old convoluted plot, doesn't he? But those adults... Yeah, but that was a particularly silly one. Yeah, so, <laughs> so they are not welcome. No, we don't want that drama. They, no. They're just very annoying. And they'd just be going, sitting around all the time going, I'm bored. That is what teenagers yeah, do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so we're not having them. No, absolutely not. I love this. It's unlike any other evening, I think, that I've had on here. Um, <laughs> I enjoy very, very much. Um, I love people are thinking outside the box more and more as I do these episodes. They just get slightly stranger with each one. Yeah, it was really, it. it was it was fun. It was fun to think about. It was a good one. Oh, I'm recording mine actually this week. Oh, I'm really? Because I've never actually done mine. Um, but I get to do my novel evenings like this. I get to talk to authors all the time. Yeah. Um, so oh, that'll be fun to see yours though. It'll be interesting. I don't think mine will be particularly highbrow. I think it'll just be hot men from books that I like. Themes all right. I, t- I need an escape I'm a parent I don't want I don't want highbrow conversation I want to just get drunk and look at beautiful men for a few yeah, hours that's that's fine that's what you need <laughs> and before I let you go and enjoy the rest of the sunshine uh, that we've got for the, I, I'm hoping for the next few days yep crossed what are you reading at the moment so I am reading it's quite a long title so I'll have to read it out to you it's called Henrietta Maria Conspirator Warrior and Phoenix Queen by Leander Delisle. And it's actually, it's a new biography that's just come out of Henrietta Maria, who we were talking about earlier. And so, I mean, I read it because obviously, you know, I researched her for The Smallest Man. So anyone who has read The Smallest Man and wants to know more about her, it's a brilliant biography. You know, it's superbly researched, but very readable. So you get, you know, much, much more about her story. And I just think, She's such a fascinating character. And I think if you ask nine out of 10 people who's Henry, who's Queen Henrietta Maria, they couldn't tell you. Oh, do you know what? I've never heard of her. And I, you know, I, I hadn't either. Queens. Yeah, I love reading about queens, you know, Eleanor of Aquitaine and, you know, mm, yeah. You and yeah, why is she not up there? Why is she not up there? That's the thing, isn't it? I, you know, and, but we're fascinated by warrior queens and, mm. you know, queens who took power now. Why is exactly. she not up You know? Yeah, yeah. So I recommend that. It's really good. Oh, I will absolutely check that out. She is someone I would really love to read more about. Mm. Um, just from the glimpses we got in the smallest exactly man, I want yeah. to know more for sure yeah. thank you this has been an absolute pleasure um and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day thank you Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online I was only playing for fun so winning was a dream come true Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino you too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 